Cortland Computer Services presents the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Well, hi there. Don Wardlow here, your Baseball Lifer. Welcome to the Christmas edition of the Baseball Lifer Podcast. I've got a special Christmas present for my listeners. But before that, there's a little something you ought to know that happened late Thursday night, the 21st. I'm recording this on Friday, the 22nd. And late last night, the L.A. Dodgers gave their fan base their Christmas present early. They signed pitcher Yoshinabu Yamamoto, and they signed him for $325 million after signing Shohei Otani for $700 million over the next decade. Now, major difference here, Yamamoto can pitch. Can he ever? Shohei Otani just had his second Tommy John surgery, and whether he will ever pitch again is in doubt. And how much he'll be able to hit, especially this year, coming directly off the surgery, is in doubt. But when he's at his best, he certainly can hit. He hit 45 home runs last year before getting injured on the 23rd of August. So the Dodgers have picked up both of the major free agents for the 2024 class, and they will need them. They'll need Yamamoto to be their ace because they don't have Walker Bueller, presumably all next year following Tommy John surgery. They don't have Dustin May, same prognosis, same reason. They don't have Tony Gonsolin, same prognosis, same reason. The Dodgers do have Clayton Kershaw. At his best, I called him the best pitcher on the planet. That was in 2015. I started calling him that in the blog I used to have called Baseball As I See It. But since then, since 2015, each and every year, Clayton Kershaw has gotten injured between his shoulder and his back. The only thing Clayton hasn't had is Tommy John surgery. But he just gets injured every single year. And when he does pitch, he's less and less effective. So what the Dodgers can count on from him is anyone's guess. So they need Yamamoto to be a horse. And they need presumably more help. Because, as I said earlier, Bueller and May and Gonsolin maybe can pitch in 2024, and maybe they can't. So where the Dodgers will get further pitching help, I don't know. So with that said, after our commercial, I'm going to present our Christmas present for my fans. And I'll tell you what it is before we go to the commercial, because it does take some explaining. Gene Shepard is known to most of the world as the voice of a Christmas story. He wrote that movie, and he was the adult voice that narrated the story of Ralphie and his BB gun. That story originally appeared in Playboy and was titled Duel in the Snow, or Red Rider Nails the Cleveland Street Kid. That movie came out in 1983. It was the most successful by far of any of his movies. Gene Shepard did several, mostly aired on PBS, and all mostly based on stories that he wrote for Playboy. He won four awards for humor, from Playboy in the 1960s. 
And while he was doing those writings and before he'd made his pile from a Christmas story, Gene Shepard broadcast on radio station WOR in New York. And on Saturday nights, his broadcasts in the 1960s were done from a place called the Limelight Cafe. I can't give you more details about the Limelight Cafe because there's nothing about it on Wikipedia or anywhere else I was able to look. What Gene Shepard never wrote about in any of his stories in Playboy or any of his books, he didn't write about the fact that he was once a baseball broadcaster. He did mention being a fan. He mentioned being a White Sox fan and his old man also being a White Sox fan. He was released from the Army at the end of 1944 while the war was still going on. But coming out of there, one of his early jobs was broadcasting baseball at the AAA level for the Toledo Mud Hens. And they still exist. They're the AAA Detroit Tigers now. But when Gene Shepard was behind their microphone, they were the AAA team of the St. Louis Browns, who would later move on in 1954 and become the Baltimore Orioles. So your Christmas present is to hear Gene Shepard from 1964 from a show he did at the Limelight Cafe talking about broadcasting AAA baseball in the late 1940s. That's what you'll hear if you keep it where it is. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. I need somebody that can come out, see what's wrong, and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860. Courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. Years go by. I'm in the Army. I'm out of the Army. I'm in college. And one long, hot summer, even a longer, hotter summer than we're, than we're enjoying now, I get a summer job. You wouldn't guess what my summer job is. I'm a play-by-play -play announcer announcing the games of the Toledo Mud Hens. <laughs> well, let me tell you about the Toledo... Was a, I never knew a ball team that had a better name. <laughs> the Toledo Mud Hens played... First of all, they played in a swamp. 
And, and they had a, I'm serious, you know, they had a ball field. I, I, I have to bring this in because this is all part of the American night. It's all part of the American life. Nobody else but an American would understand what I'm going to tell you about. But night after night, I would sit in the press box with my little crystal microphone in front of me. And down there on the field would be the Toledo Mud Hens. They played nothing but night games. And yeah, oh, it was so hot they couldn't play day games out there. They only played at night. And their nighttime, believe me, their lighting looked like the kind of lighting you see on a used car lot out in Queens. They had light bulbs, you know, just hanging from wires out there, you know, around the field. And hot, oh my God, it was 100 degrees there every night. And the humidity on the shore of the lake there would come waving in. And we'd sit there and watch the Toledo Mud Hens, and there would be 210 people at the ball game. Now, most of you have never seen, just all of you who have ever seen minor league ball, raise your hands. You've seen minor league ball played? Well, you see how few people have ever seen it out of this crowd. You guys who think you've seen sad sights when you see the Mets, you ought to see the Met rejects playing. <laughs> now, uh, there's two kinds of ball players on a minor, on a minor league team. There's the ball player who's on his way up, or thinks he is, and there's the ball player who's on his way down after 12 years with the Cleveland Indians, or 14 years in the National League. And I'll tell you, you've never seen anything like a center fielder who played seven seasons with the Yankees, three seasons with Cleveland, two seasons with the White Sox, had a lifetime batting average in the majors of 297, playing center field for the Toledo Mud Hens. I'm telling you, it's a sight. Here's a pro. He ain't going nowhere. What he does know, well, he may be going somewhere. He may be going from class B to class D. This is where he's going. He's playing with 12-year-old kids, you know, who got that fire, you know, that, that look of Ron, you know that look of Ron Hunt? You know that sharp, skinny face, you know, that, that looks, out of the, looks out of the sporting news? Those, those, those sharp-eyed, bright-eyed, beady-eyed kids that have just come from Cornell? And here is old Big John out in center field. Well, I want to tell you a story one night that I saw. It was one of the most, one of the most peculiar sights I've ever seen in sports. The Toledo Mud Hens, in case you don't know anything about them, were a farm team for a team that made the New York Mets look like the Yankees. They were a farm team for the St. Louis Browns. They really were. They were a St. Louis Browns farm team. And the St. Louis Browns were a farm team. You know? It was a, it was a sad scene. And, and, and here you had, they even had a one-armed outfielder. Who, yeah, they had a one-armed outfielder. And so, so one hot July night, I'm sitting in the press box up there. The score is 12 to 2 in favor of, I, I don't recall who it was, Indianapolis or somebody. And the Toledo Mud Hens are playing out there. And they had a big mud hen on the front of their jersey. It's a... And this great big chicken here, you know, they had these beautiful uniforms. If you notice, the worse the team, the greater the uniforms. 
Got these beautiful red bills, you know, and these sharp-looking black hats and the big red, white, and blue bird, and it said mud hens on it, you know, big. They have a big number seven on the back, and they had this beautiful PA system. And I don't know whether you've ever heard a PA system echoing out over an empty ball field, announcing the next hitter. And this 700-watt PA system says, attention, please. And they can hear it over all of southern Michigan. <laughs> who couldn't care less. They're all somewhere else, you know. There's 200 people in the stands, and there's something about a die-hard minor league baseball fan that makes, honestly, makes a Met fan look like an absolute, soft, quiet, Madison Avenue-controlled person. When you have been following the Toledo Mud Hens for 15 years... You are a grizzled piece of leather. And they sit out there and they're absolutely, and they're old men. Almost all of them are old men. They're retired guys, old ball players. These are real baseball fans. These are not television viewers. And they sit in those wooden stands. And you can pick out each voice. You get to know all the fans. <laughs> and I'm doing it, you hear, Hey, hey, Johnny, hey, Bob. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's terrible how you can hear the sound of one heckler in a minor league ballpark in a night game at 11 o'clock at night with a temperature 100 degrees and 200 people there. Well, one clown starts getting on this major league outfielder. And here he is out there. Here's a guy that's played in four World Series. I knew it, you know. I knew what he'd done. I remember one time when he came up to bat in the, in the 12th inning of a World Series game and tripled with two men on. Yeah, and now he's playing center field for the Mud Hens. And he had this stance, you know, there's, there's a certain stand the way minor league ball players stand, you know, this eager look. The kid, you know, he's always moving, he's pranked. He, he can't stay, he's so excited that he's there, you know, he wants to make it. Is there a scout in the stand? You know, he's always looking up the stand, hitting his glove, you know, he's petting the back. Oh, no, you can see the old timer out there, he's just waiting. And he can hardly, you know, it's funny, because the, the, the fog comes moving in. They don't have good lights. And you can hardly see the outfielders. You just see these shadowy figures out there just watching, looking up into that gloom, waiting for those fly balls. And once in a while, a train would go by and it would pour its smoke down in, you know, choo, 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 choo. These are the guys that are on their way to what you see now doing the Schick commercials. It's very strange, you know. We don't see this much in America anymore. Well, one night, scores 12 to 2. And as an announcer, your job is to make it sound exciting. Your job is to make it sound that there's a rally in the wings. Your job is to make it sound like this is worth seeing. Well, how can you say, friends, come on out here, because this is an American ritual. Come on out, because you'll never see anything like this down at the Bijou. That there's no drama like this in a Doris Day movie. It's just not there. The real thing is here, friends. Because in the ninth inning, one down, Big John comes up. The ex-Yankee. I'll never forget the sight. There are two mud hens on base. They're down 12 to 2. 
It's the last of the ninth. And John comes up, picks up his bat, walks up there, and he's got a straight-up stance. Stands up. A right-handed hitter, by the way. So maybe you know who I'm talking about. I know old, old Yankee fans may know. <laughs> by the way, his name really was John. I won't give you his last name. So Big John is standing up there, and there's something in the human breast that likes to needle people who no longer are what they were. We love to see those which were once big no longer. I think we hate our celebrities, and we love them. And the hate is far more virulent than the love is real. And so here's, here's old Big John standing up there at the plate. Well, everybody, you know, all these 210 guys out there knew he'd been a Yankee. They knew he'd been with the Cleveland Indians. This guy was a real ball player, and he was playing among kids, and he was playing before boars. And so the boars started. This nut back at third base with the leather voice. La has been! La has been! Why don't you hang him up? That means hang up your spike, you has-been. You has-been! And here's this poor guy. He's earning maybe $6,000 for the season. Obviously, he needs the money. Either that or he can't quit playing the game, which is probably closer to the truth. You has-been! And everybody is here, you know, just sort of floats out. And I got my microphone, and it picks up. I can hear it in my cans. Your has been, your bum. Your has been. Ooh, you want to kill him. And here's this big, fat slob, you know, who can't even make it in the fat man, skinny man picnic ball team, you know. <laughs> Boy, has he got a set of lungs. Your has been. He's yelling. And Big John is up there. Well, there was a kid pitching. This guy, by the way, went on to become one of the best pitchers of the 1950s. And I had a very funny feeling. Just the other day, I read in a sport page that he had been finally given his unconditional release. This pitcher, this he was a kid then, though. He was 19 years old, and he was on his way to 240 victories in the majors. Oh, boy, did he have a fastball. And there is nothing faster than a minor league pitcher with a fastball under bad lights. Oh, I'll tell you, that ball is like lightning. And he stands up there, this big, strong bull of a kid. And he's got that hat pulled down. He's in that gray, you know, there's nothing that looks more menacing than the gray traveling uniform. The enemy. They're gray, you know, they're dark gray uniforms, those drab qualities. Too. He stands up there and he's getting his sign. Your has been! Just floats out there as clean and as beautiful as you care to hear it. That kid pitcher just looks down. He hears it. Big John can't help but hear it. He's down there. And John is just standing. The one thing you learn when you work before a crowd, don't listen. But that doesn't never works you don't listen but you hear there's a difference you know between listening and hearing you can stand up there and you can close the ears you can close the mind 
But there's something that's open. Some antenna picks it up. Your hair's been your bum. And this kid looks down. He gets his sign. Up goes the foot, and he lays in a fastball of a real fastball hitting a catcher's mitt. Boom! It just goes. You can just hear it. It echoes. Boom! You hear it coming back from the stand. That dunk. That snap. Strike one. Big John didn't even see this one. His reflexes, you know, are that little quarter of a millisecond too late. That's what happens, you know, to big ball players. It isn't that they lose their swing. The swing is still as beautiful. But did you notice what was happening to Ted Williams at the end of Ted Williams' career? For the first time in his life, he was hitting them to left field. He was swinging just a little too late. That ball was going off down the third baseline. And the minute they started to go left of the third baseline, Ted hung up his spikes. The reflex. And so Big John is standing and these two mud hens are going back and forth. One of them, by the way, was a 46-year-old outfielder who had been play he played in the majors before the war, you know, before the war, and now he's a big round figure who owns a bowling alley in town. The only reason he was playing with the mud hens is because he could still wail the daylights out of he was just a he was an animal. There are certain ball players that don't have reflexes, they're just animals. Just animals. And he, he, was, he was just like an animal. This guy could hit a ball. He, he's probably 70 years old now, and he can hit a ball 600 feet. But he can't run. He's an animal. He'd hit a ball, and you'd say, boom, off the wall, and he's still at first running. This bowling ball, you know. Well, you can imagine how this guy must have hit one. He's on second. He's got a double. And so here he is dancing off a second. This 46-year-old outfield. He's bouncing back and forth. <laughs> and on third is this wiry, spindly shortstop, who, by the way, came up and became known as a superlative glove man in the National League. This kid is moving. He's got that, that fang teeth look of the glove man. The 165 hitter, but who's got a glove like a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> he just moves back and forth on third, you know. Big John is standing up there. 12 to 2. Last of the ninth inning. Toledo Mud Hens are taking on the Indianapolis Caps. And they ain't making it. The smoke is coming down in over the left field screen. And you can't even see the center fielder because the fog is setting in now. And a couple of guys get up and go home very ostentatiously. Let me tell you, nothing is more ostentatious than the left field crowd leaving in a minor league ball game. All six of them get up. Now they walk out. <laughs> Carrying their beer cans, you know, they go... Well, Big John is up there. Ten minutes go by, it seemed like. It was like being played underwater, and now the count stands at three balls and one strike. And this clown... Let him walk, you John! That's your hit for tonight! Let him walk, you husband! Well, three and one, the kid makes his mistake. That same fastball over the outside corner comes down, and Big John, remember, is a pro. He has seen them all. He's batted against Feller. He's batted against Gomez. He's batted against Ruffing. And this kid throws that same pitch, and 
I can't tell you how I felt as an announcer. There was that sound. Just that, just like that. Big John just moved. And you could see those shoulders. He dug in and he got it right on the fat part. And that ball just climbed up, up, up. Didn't even bend. You know, the kind that doesn't go up. It just went off into the fog. And the outfielders didn't even turn. They just stood there. That ball was 150 feet over the left fielder's head when it was going up and out. And Big John just starts to move. You know that snotty trot the home run hitter's got? You know? He, he, Well, I want to tell you, I have never seen a moment, I've seen Major League ball games. I've never seen a moment that came anywhere near that. And you know, there's a little smattering of applause. After all, that makes it now, what, 12 to 5? And there's a little applause, and you can see this big, fat slob sitting back at third base. And he has turned around now. A slob is always a slob, you know. He's turned around, and he's going, hey, peanuts, peanuts. <laughs> He ain't even gonna look. Hey, peanuts, peanuts, hey, peanut man, come here. And Big John just rounds third base, you know, and he doesn't look up. You notice ball players never look up, you know, he doesn't look up. Hey, man, he just rounds third base, and he's heading for the dugout. You ought to see a minor league dugout. I'll tell you, it's a park bench with a hole under it, you know. <laughs> and, and he's heading for the dugout, you know, and the crowd gives him a hand. He just sort of tip, pulls the hat a little bit, and he ducks in. I, I'll, I'll always, to the last day, to the last day of my life, I'll remember that number 12. That great, big, blue and red number 12 on the back. He bends over, it's a giant man. He ducks under and he goes. Well, the ball game slowly petered out. And three days later, in the Toledo Blade, it was announced that Big John had retired. Now, it sounds like one of those strangely pat stories. The actual truth. And I suspect that Big John somewhere tonight, I don't care where he is, I don't know. But one more thing. I saw him on a Phil Rizzuto interview not more than a year ago. And you know one of those things where, where Phil Rizzuto's up there and he says, hey, here's one of the old Yankees up here today. Drop by. What are you doing, John? You know, he says, well, I'm selling insurance somewhere and I'm I'm uh, head of the Little League, and I'm interested in children. And he's this clean... Yeah, he is, you know. And he's a clean-limbed-looking guy. He looks like an insurance man now. He's got a pair of glasses, you know, with the big brims. And, and Phil is talking to him. And Phil says, gee, I'll never forget the time against Cleveland, John. I remember the time when you caught... And, and he's talking, yeah, he says, yeah, I remember that. And you remember the time DiMaggio and they're talking about the great Yankees? And I wanted to jump up and say, John, tell him about the night in Toledo. <laughs> tell him about the night you really did it. But baseball, in so many ways, is truly an American expression. And, and when baseball is played in hot weather, in the middle of the summer, when the pennant race is over. Have you ever watched two seventh place teams play in Kansas? I mean, really, you know, you guys are New Yorkers. You're used to watching the Yankees play. You know, you're used to watching the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Mets are colorful. Believe me, they're colorful. Have you ever watched two completely gray teams play? 
No color whatsoever. No, absolute, no chance of even any excitement. Well, I am living out in the Midwest, and the Chicago White Sox have been for over a hundred years in the second division. They owned it. They owned the second division. They, we used to resent it when, when uh, a team would be in eighth place and the White Sox were out of it, you know? It was like, it was just unnatural. You just felt rotten, you know? It was like, uh, somebody's getting pushy, see? And, and so the White Sox were the last place ball club. Well, suddenly out of the middle of the Depression, the White Sox developed a colorful ball player. Now, color on a, on a bad ball team consists of being worse. Not like on a good ball team. Color consists of being Mickey Mantle, you know? Color consists of being somebody like... Well, who is... All right, I'll give you one guess. Who in the entire history of the Mets ball club was by far the most colorful ball player? Who? Marvelous Marv. Have you ever seen Marvelous Marv with that concrete glove out there? You know? Wait a minute, you know? Oh, yeah, Marvelous Marv grew to be loved by the Mets fans because he was aggressive about his ineptitude, you know? The others would fight against it, they'd cover it up, but Marv, well, let me tell you, when Marv made a bad throw from first over to third, believe me, it was Upper Decksville, you know? <laughs> that was Marv. Well, 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 the White Sox developed the ball player. It used to be a pleasure to go out and see him. He was without question the worst left fielder who ever played baseball. No, he really was. But the reason he played, he was an instinctive hitter. He had absolute impeccable instincts. He was a 350 hitter when he felt like it. When he was kidding around 320, you know, that kind of thing. And he'd just, he'd play around at bat. And he'd come up there with the bats. He'd pretend like, you know, he'd do the little, he'd do the, I, I can't, I, I keep thinking, I, I'm sorry, I'm on the radio, but... He used to do a thing, you know. He used to do a thing with his hips, you know, like this. He'd come up and he'd go like that. He'd wave at the audience. He did a thing. He would do a takeoff on some of the more prominent denizens of Greenwich Avenue. You know what I mean? And, oh, they used to make Feller mad, you know. Oh, it made those guys mad that he... Because he, he didn't take the game seriously. He'd play around, you know. He gets up there and he, he'd do all kinds of bits. Like he'd come up with his hat backwards. Well, you know, I mean, what are you going to say when a guy's batting? He's got his, the bill sticking out in the back. He'd get up there like that and hit. And, of course, the crowd loved it. He'd drill a triple down the left field line with his hat backwards. Or he would drill... I never forget one time he hits a triple. Sure, a triple. You know, he belts one out there. And then he goes down pretending he's got a wooden leg. <laughs> you know, oh, Jimmy Dykes came out of the dugout. You're, that's a hundred bucks, you idiot! And he goes... You know, I'll tell you, he was, now what are you cheering, you know, the poor son of a gun was getting busted, <laughs> it's a hundred bucks, well one day, <laughs> this is what had happened, one day, it was a hot day, I'm, I'm a patrol boy, you know, they used to let the boy scouts, the patrol boys in free during the depression because they figured that the back ends, the fannies of these kids would keep the seats clean. They didn't have to hire guys to clean up the seats, you know, and that kind of stuff. So we'd sit out there every afternoon. We saw all the ball games. We'd wear our, you know, the, the patrol boys badge. You know, we'd wear them every... I wore it more in the summer when school was out than when school was in, you know. So we'd go in there, we'd sit down there, and one day, our left fielder, 
makes three consecutive errors on three balls hit directly at him. I mean, you know, the kind of errors where he's circling under it like this, you know. He circles, and oh, like that, the last instant, you know, Don, he runs, hits the wall and picks it up and throws it in the stands, you know, that, that kind of... Well, well you see, and, and what was so sad about it is that the ball team was playing a fairly decent game, you know. Well, he was kicking it away, literally kicking it away, kicking the balls, everything. So finally, the score at the end of the eighth inning is something like seven to one. The pitcher that's pitching, you know, you develop a kind. It's it's kind of it's not really like Roger Craig because Roger Craig was the was beloved of the Met fans. You ought to be a pitcher on a second division team out of town. You have lost 19 games. You have won two, and you're up there, and you've got this left fielder, and you're losing another one to Detroit. And everything you throw, you have that little thing says, don't let him hit it to left field. That inhibits a guy. I'm telling you, it inhibits him. So in the eighth inning, score seven to one, somebody drills a ground ball, a single, right through short. It comes hopping along. The outfielder comes up to it. And suddenly he sees the ball. He gets one of his nutty ideas. He lays down in front of it. This one is not going to get past him. See? He lays down, and the whole crowd backs up, you know. And you can see Dykes rise up off the bench. Dykes was the manager, you know. He rises off the bench. You see his head going down. Here's the outfielder laying there. The ball is rolling at him, and he's got his glove. He's waiting. See, it's not going to go. The last instant, it takes a bad hop. Over him. All the way to the wall. Well... He gets, he gets up, you know, he looks, he gets up, the crowd is roaring, the runners are going around, it's a merry-go-round, you know, they're going. The guy that hit the ball, it's the longest triple they ever got, you know. And, and the outfielder gets up, picks up the ball, he's got it, and the, you won't believe it. It gets stuck in the webbing of his glove. He can't get it out of the glove. And he's holding, forget it, home run inside the park. Well... They finally get the side out, and he comes walking in. You know how ball players run in after the inning? Have you watched them? You know, they sort of run in. You should have seen this guy come down the side. He went right, right by the wall, and he's sidling in. He's examining the dandelions, and he's coming in. Well, he arrives right down there by the dugout, and Jimmy Dykes came out, and Dykes took one, just stood out there like this. He came running across. Dyke says like that, just pointed, in full view of all the pointed to the clubhouse, go. You're out of the game. The aftermath of the story is that all the White Sox fans got together and voted this guy, the worst outfielder who ever played in the majors, into the all-star team. So help me, they voted him into the all-star team. He, he made the all-star team, and in the third inning of the all-star game, one of the all-stars belted a long shot, and they said, it's going out to left field, and all the White Sox fans are sitting there watching. We'll show that rotten league now. It, 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 he dropped the ball, the run is... Finally, the White Sox got back at a Yankee pitcher who was pitching. So losers... 
There are plenty of you out there, and if you stick with it, you may make the all-star team. Thanks for coming. I'm having such a problem at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down, and I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860, courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here again. Man, that was a joy bringing you Gene Shepard talking about broadcasting baseball in the late 1940s, which I found as a part of a collection of Gene Shepard stuff that I've acquired through the years. And just randomly, I play these recordings at night when I'm having trouble sleeping. And one night, it woke me up in the middle of the night, and I heard this famous voice talking about baseball, talking about himself as a broadcaster. I'd never heard that recording before, and that's the one I shared with you now. And earlier in the show, we talked about the Dodgers signing Yoshinabu Yamamoto, a man who has three times won the Eiji Sawamura Award, which in Japan is the Cy Young Award. Three times he's won the pitching triple crown, which is to say he'd got the most wins, the lowest ERA, and the most strikeouts. And he's 25. He's got a record of 70 and 29 in Japan. And he's coming to America to play for the L.A. Dodgers. Next week on the Baseball Lifer podcast, for our end of the year broadcast, we're going to rerun my favorite podcast that I did in the year 2023. And that was my interview with Jeff Idelson, which I did coming back from the Hall of Fame. My brother, Bob, and my brother-in-law, Tom, and my nephew, Russell, and I all went up to the Hall of Fame March 24th through 26th. And the next weekend, I brought you my opinions of the Hall of Fame And I interviewed Jeff Idelson, who had once been president of the Hall of Fame. So that's what you're going to hear, a rebroadcast of that show next Friday on the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Until then, happy holidays, 
Merry Christmas, everybody. This is Don Wardlow, your baseball lifer. (laughs) 